When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Kirsty Major and this is Double Take, a podcast in which the Independence comment writers take another look at their favourite pieces. Today, we are joined by Josie Cox, the Independence business editor. She will be reading her column, The Looming Bust in Digital is Far More Scary Than Brexit. She'll also be discussing what a crash would mean for the rest of us. Do you remember a company called Pets.com? No, I didn't think so. It was an online retailer for pet accessories that started operating in 1998. It ran a wildly successful marketing campaign featuring an odd dog-like sock puppet. But more notably, it was an early pioneer of selling stuff on the underexplored plains of the World Wide Web. In the late 1990s, companies were springing up like mushrooms after the rain, fertilised with bags of investor cash just for adding .com to the end of their names. Pets.com was a poster child of that boom, and regrettably, as it turned out, also of the bust. Listed publicly on the stock market in August 1998, fewer than 270 days later, it filed for bankruptcy, a remarkable feat, even as the internet ushered in a new era of speed. The problem was that the rise of the web had prompted almost unprecedented economic speculation. It opened up a galaxy of opportunity for both consumers and entrepreneurs. And every investor with cash in their pocket and dollar signs in their eyes wanted a piece of that sacred pie. Companies that had yet to turn a profit, and as it later turned out never would, were valued at billions of dollars. Rock-bottom interest rates made bank funding readily available. And then suddenly, almost overnight, the glossy ecosystem of newfangled corporates started to unravel dramatically. Investors woke up to the idea that many of these new corporations lacked the basics, a fundamental ability to generate money on a sustainable level. What happened next has been documented exhaustively, but in recent years, this particular tale of economic demise has been drowned out in the bars, restaurants and boardrooms of Wall Street, Canary Wharf and Silicon Valley. It's become folklore, one for the annals of crises past, the mistakes of our ignorant forefathers. Many of those making the investment decisions, launching the companies and even writing about them today, don't remember how they felt when the Nasdaq tech stock index lost almost 80% of its value in the space of just over two years. So what's there to say about it today? The only tech they, and we, cared about was making sure Tamagotchis got fed. Mark Zuckerberg was 15 when Pets.com went bust, and even a whiz kid like him probably wouldn't have been able to tell you the merits of calculating a price-to-earnings ratio. Now, as Amazon's share price surges above $1,000, as Google owner Alphabet looks back on 30% of share price growth in the last year, and as investors start predicting that Apple will hit the $1 trillion valuation mark, it may well pay to start dusting off those old history books. Truth is, the evidence we might be heading for trouble is staggering and far more worrisome than what the global fallout from something as isolated as Brexit might be. And you don't have to take my word for it. Last month, Robert Burujerdi, chief investment officer at Goldman Sachs Asset Management, and most definitely someone who does remember the last dot-com boom, 
published a report in which he cautioned of the growing risks presented by the meteoric rise of the big five tech behemoths, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Alphabet and Microsoft. Burujadi noted that in the year to the start of June, these companies added a total of $600 billion of market capitalization, the equivalent of the gross domestic product of Hong Kong and South Africa combined. Parallels to the 1999-2000 crash are becoming increasingly evident, he said. The note roiled the market, giving us a taste of just how nervy some of the investors in these companies are becoming. Apple shares fell 4%, swiping about $30 billion off the market capitalization of the world's most valuable company. And this was a relatively moderate warning. Just think of the impact a more harrowing premonition might have had. Tech companies are deeply intertwined. And when one falls, it often takes scores of others down with it. And often psychology dictates that the more a stock falls, the more likely it is to fall further. Imagine rats scuttling for the exit on a sinking ship. No one wants to be caught inside a cabin and sink. The question we should be asking ourselves is what will cause the first domino to topple? It could be any number of things. The European Union last month slapped Google with an eye-watering 2.4 billion euro fine for abusing its dominance in the market for search engines. Now others are in the regulator's crosshairs because of concerns around everything from advertising standards to consumer privacy. The EU certainly has the teeth and the clout to curtail big tech companies' dominance. Some campaigners have even called for a breakup of the tech giants, borrowing the too-big-to-fail refrain from their banking buddies. Might that be enough to send investors scampering? And then, of course, there are the reputational dramas that have engulfed the sector. A string of exposés has cast an unflattering and deeply necessary light on the rampant sexism and abuse prevalent across many of the big companies and their smaller protégés. Capitalist warriors looking for a quick buck or the prestige of being a Silicon Valley hero might not necessarily care about such issues as discrimination and misogyny for now, but they certainly will once the big financial endorsers determine that things have gotten a little too risque for them to be involved. The tech sector is a small world and reputation can be quick to destroy and hellish to rebuild. Perhaps that will be the straw that breaks the unicorn's back. It might seem hard to think of companies of such titanic magnitude as anything other than unflappable. But once again, giants have fallen before. General Motors was the biggest company in the world 20 years ago. Today, it doesn't feature in the top 10. The business landscape is constantly evolving, sticking to a boom and bust cycle as we experience and then forget what happens when we become too greedy. A dog-like sock puppet may have been an unlikely victim of the last dot-com crisis. I don't see why a precocious unicorn wouldn't be just as good at playing that part. That was Josie Cox reading her piece, The Looming Bust in Digital is Far More Scary Than Brexit. A link to the original piece will be in the show notes. If anybody wants to have their say, you can tweet me at Kirsty underscore Major and Josie at Josie Cox underscore London. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hi, Josie. Hello. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to have a lady in the studio, finally. It's been <laughs> too long before I've had one. So thank you for your piece. I wanted to start off by bringing up something that wasn't in the piece, mm-hmm. which is the fact that, yeah, we had a dot-com bubble burst in the past, but there were survivors of that crash, mm-hmm. and they are people like Amazon and Google. Yeah. So what's to say that they just couldn't survive another crash? Mm. And not only did they survive the crash, but they really went on to thrive. Uh, I mean, if we look over the last 10 years, you know, those companies that you've just mentioned are the ones that have really defined tech, and that's kind of what we think of as tech at the moment. Um, so I think probably a good thing to say before we start talking about the piece is that even if we do have a big tech bust, I don't necessarily think that the big companies, the Alphabets, the Googles, even the Facebooks are necessarily going to be kind of wiped off the face of the earth. Um, I think that especially the fact that they did survive the last um, the last boom and bust uh, proves that they're kind of resilient and that it's in their DNA to be very forward thinking and to be very innovative and um yeah, I've just I've just been writing, working on another piece actually uh, about Alphabet, which is of course Google's parent company, um, and how all, they faced all these headwinds, especially in the last couple of months. Um, yet somehow they've always been able to reinvent themselves and kind of pick themselves up. Um, and they have so many other kind of revenue streams working in their favor. Um, they're constantly jumping on new trends, be that video streaming or um, home assistants like uh, Amazon's Alexa. Um, they've also got YouTube, of course. A lot of people always forget that there are certain brands like YouTube belongs to, to Google and Instagram belongs to Facebook. Um, they've just got so many kind of fingers in pies. Uh, and I suppose that I do have faith that that's going to keep them propped up so sorry very long answer to a to a short question no it leads on to my next question actually which is so my thinking about a tech bust is that it's not these i think they call them deco corns i think that's the market term for these really big yeah sort of going for the one trillion yeah valuation companies yeah they'll survive but it's the unicorns it's the companies Mm. which so unicorns for listeners who haven't come across the term before it's companies which are dependent upon welfare venture um venture capital welfare Mm -hmm. to keep them alive so it might be your say uber who Mm -hmm. are having to i think right now they're having to expend like a billion pounds in china to ward Mm -hmm. off their competition yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's those companies who Mm -hmm. once investors get a little bit shaky they're left with nothing because they're so dependent upon investors Mm. and then i wonder if that allows for bigger companies say your amazons Mm -hmm. or googles to snap them up yeah, Do I you think, think that's possible? I think there's some of that. I definitely think the point that you're making about unicorns being more vulnerable than the, the more established players is is a, is a very, very true one to make. Um, unicorns, yeah. So they are the ones that depend on venture capital funding. They're also the ones that you're defined as a unicorn if you hit the one billion valuation mark. Um, 
And the ones that I'm concerned about and the ones that I think could become the victims of this next crash that we're talking about um, are the ones that have gotten there very, very quickly. So they've essentially... Um, excited a group of investors uh, to the point that everyone's wanted to invest very quickly. Um, and they haven't necessarily had the time to sort of build up the fundaments and the the kind of the, the, the basis. They haven't really uh, had a chance to establish themselves. Um, and I think they're the ones, um, you know, what, what goes up quickly can come down quickly, as they say. Um, so I think they're the ones that are most vulnerable. And with your one trick ponies, your companies mm. who have one model, say Airbnb, which I think are, are, they're one of the top five unicorn companies. Yep. So they, the biggest hotel firm without any hotels, yeah. but that's all they do. Whereas you have it companies is. like Alphabet, mm. who are diversifying, or even Facebook, which yeah. has a number of different mo revenue models that yeah. it's playing with at any given time. Mm -hmm. Airbnb is a funny one, actually, because I do think that they're almost, um, you know, we, we can't really group them with the sort of... Um, quick fire unicorns that we're talking about Airbnb and they are they are trying very hard to diversify as well so they're um, developing things like Airbnb experience um, I don't Ooh, think that's that? the exact brand name for it but they're, they're basically tailoring trips for people where locals in certain cities um, don't only provide their homes but they also take you out on a on a trip around the city and kind of give you the local insight so they're like clearly they know that they can't just subsist on renting out apartments they know that they have to add more to it and I do feel like they have got that creativity and that innovation to carry them through but you're right other companies that only offer one service or one product um, those are the ones I'd be most worried about. That's really interesting that you talk about someone like Airbnb turning themselves into a luxury company because that's a theory that's been floating around that these lean platforms mm. like your Ubers your Airbnbs mm won't be able to survive because of regulation, which is one of the reasons you cite for a crash. Yep. So it's companies who deal with services. Mm -hmm. So they might encounter things like cracking down on apartments without hotel licensing. Yep. Yep, or yep. your Ubers who might have to stop paying their staff more. And mm. that kind of breaks their business model. Yeah. So that's regulation will hit those companies quite badly would you say that goes for the big companies as well like your amazons yeah. and googles yeah regulation is obviously a huge one uh, and as you say the size of the company determines how well they'll be able to fend that off um so on the sort of very very top end of the spectrum alphabet very topical google so they were slapped with that massive eu fine that mm. i mentioned in the piece um and then subsequently actually after after i wrote that piece we had the earnings out that sort of covered that period um and that fine did have an impact on the earnings but not huge. It was sort of, um, you know, it, it sort of shrugged, Alphabet kind of shrugged it off. Um, and I was I was chatting to a couple of um, bankers and like the, the analysts who do this for a living, mm. who look at these companies and analyze them. Um, and a lot of them said to me, you know, this is obviously a bad thing. And if there are more fines that, that could come, then it could change the way that Google operates. But it's not a game changer for them at the moment. Um, and a lot of these analysts have price targets on the stock, which is significantly higher than where the stock is now. So they still think, you know, we've got a run to come, which is interesting. Oh. Um, but obviously regulation, if you're if you're a smaller company, yes, you're more nimble and you can adapt faster to market trends and things like that. But a big regulatory change could really ruin you. Um, and you're right, Uber has been smacked with regulation. Um, it's not able to operate in certain countries because of regulation. Airbnb, it's the same same scenario. Um, 
And uh, I think that, the, you know, institutions like the EU and the Competition and Markets Authority, they are um, they're showing their teeth uh, and they also want to um, assert themselves and prove that companies can't do whatever they want. Um, and they're taking their role as representing um, consumers very, very seriously. Mm. We're seeing that, especially in the UK. Obviously, it's really topical with the gig economy stuff and the Matthew Taylor report uh, and the way that that's impacted people like Uber and like Deliveroo. Um, so it's it's an ongoing tale, um, but it's certainly what's going to shape the tech sector, I'd say. Are there limitations, limitations sorry, to regulation, though? Because right now it's just the EU. Mm who's been sort of whacking these fines because mm. of uh, lack of competition on Google search engine. But if it's just the EU and you have other countries where the internet is still a wild west, mm. does that, because the internet's borderless nature, do regulations defined by borders actually become irrelevant? It's a great question. It's very uh, uh, existential almost, isn't it? Oh, I, <laughs> I do know that. <laughs> Um, it's not, I, I think actually it's not just the EU. I think the EU is probably the most prominent one just because mm -hmm. of the news flow that we've had and the way that they've also responded to things like tax breaks and tax dodging, I suppose, in the, in, in Europe and in the UK and, um, all these companies coming across from the US trying to repatriate cash for tax purposes and all that kind of stuff. That's really drawn our attention to the EU. Um, but you know, regulation out of the US is, it can be equally harsh as well. Okay. Um, they're certainly one to watch. Um, as well. Um, and I think that the reason that perhaps we're getting regulation more prominently from the US and the, and the EU at the moment is because these companies are most dominant there. Um, and, the and actually, most of the internet is English. We think of the internet like this global thing, which is we have the same experience in every country. But yeah. actually, most websites are English speaking. It's actually a really mm. it's part of the Western hegemony still. Mm. Or at least the e changing. retailers and the e the companies that operate through the internet, mm. at least. So, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And in terms of regulation as well, so when you when you look at it and you cite this in your piece, you say mm. it's from uh, you know people's data mm -hmm. to um, consumer standards, but it's all so um, consumer privacy. Mm -hmm. But it's all to do with data, mm -hmm. and yeah, you have companies like Facebook and Google Ads, mm. which primarily deal in data. That's mm. their like raw yeah, material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you have companies like Amazon who actually make most of their money from cloud based services yep yep so maybe companies like google and facebook mm -hmm. might be hit harder by fines and regulation but perhaps there's other companies who in in whom their dna mm -hmm. would make them immune uh to, yeah, to an extent sense? to an extent yeah i think i mean you, you yeah you, you talked about amazon i think they're a really interesting example um and actually, I, I had the pleasure of um, being at a dinner like, just last night with oh. Amazon. Um, and I sat next to a few of their kind of heads of departments. And um, I sat next to their fashion head, which was fantastically interesting because she was telling me all about how they actually work with so many local businesses. And I think that the reason why Amazon might be less in the crosshairs of regulators than perhaps a Google or a Facebook at the moment is because they're very much facilitating businesses they're, they're a platform for businesses outside that organization to operate mm. and to access consumers and to grow and to thrive. And so to that extent, they're less centralized, I suppose. Um, and uh, that might make them less, make people less skeptical, I suppose, of them. They, they deal less in, in information 
on a more on a sort of visible level, I suppose. Well, they deal less with, I suppose, if like a body like the EU considers itself protecting citizens, mm. if actually these companies are bus- companies are business to business, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter so much. Yeah, yeah. But I find the Amazon thing fascinating because a company like Uber actually relies on Amazon for all of its infrastructure. I think most of it's behind the scenes. I don't, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I'm not a techie yeah, person. Yeah, but yeah. It, they, they buy it all from Amazon. Yeah. So if there was a crash, I wonder whether some companies, because of their DNA, yeah. are more immune to it and were more likely to see the data-led platforms yeah. to be to be more affected by a crash. Just, yeah, possibly. I do think that, I mean, that the, the, the interesting point here is just how interconnected. I suppose mm. everything is and the and not only from an operational level but also from a kind of investor level. So you have an awful lot of um uh, venture capitalists who have their money in, you know, all the tech companies you can think of really? or or big investors, you know, they don't have to be venture capitalists but the the big sort of black rocks and pimcos and um the big kind of investor names of the world. Um and I think that if there, you know, if there is a big um event whatever that might be and we can all speculate for days on end what that might be um that triggers a sell-off then them pulling their money out of one particular company could it, it sends a message right and it sends a message of confidence or lack thereof and i think that that could definitely trigger some kind of domino effect if you've got a big um reputable investor pulling their money out of one company it might send a signal to another person and uh, it, it's sort of this. I think I, I think I say in my piece that it's this kind of ecosystem um, of of companies relying on each other and kind of existing off each other and thriving off each other's mm. ideas. And um, and so I think that's one of the the big risks. And is that the same across all investment portfolios, or is that a specific characteristic to tech investments? No, I think that's right. I think um, so. The way that the sort of world of investment works is that a lot of these big names, big asset managers um, function on a kind of, they call it a top down level. So they they have sector picks rather than company picks. Oh. So as an investor, you know, you might, you might have a particularly optimistic view on uh, chemicals, but you might have a really negative view on construction. So if, if you operate based on that view, then you would buy, you know, a range of, of companies within a particular sector uh, and not a range of names in, in another sector, but it would sort of be thematic rather than particular name picks. Okay. And in terms of consumers mm. and people who just, you know, use their iPads <laughs> to stalk people on Facebook, um, what does that, what would a crash mean for them? Ah, that's a great question. Um, I think, uh, I think there would definitely be a sort of a delayed effect because if, if Facebook, for example, just very hypothetical here, got to be careful with these things, uh, you know, touch wood and all of that. Um, but if Facebook were to really start, start struggling and we've got results from them out later this week, so it'll be interesting to see how they are actually doing. But if they are really struggling, um, the service that they provide to their customers, uh, you know, the actual Facebook platform, that's probably something that is most valuable to them. So that will be something that they will, I, I would think, try and hang on for as long as possible Mm. what would be the first to go would be kind of the investment the research and development that they're doing into further products okay um because this is kind of proven 
you know, this has proven to them that it's something that works. This is what we all know and love Facebook for, mm. um, at least the traditionalists amongst us. Um, so I think it would, I mean, obviously the consumer would eventually be affected by a tech crash. Um, but I think it would be the trickle through effect would be perhaps a little bit longer. The other, I mean, the other big thing that we that sort of touched on, I touched on the piece is the reputational thing, of course, right? Yes. So um, regulation is kind of like the hard bureaucratic side of things. And reputation is, I think, another risk that we shouldn't be underestimating when discussing the prospect of a crash. Um, and I think it's quite tempting to, to underestimate it because it is seen as this slightly sort of softer cultural um, facet, I suppose, of the when industry. I, when I did read those mm. parts, I thought, really, do, do investors with a hard cash really care about whether they should care? Or mm. do they care about, say, mm. some of the um, sexual harassment yeah. claims that have been floating around Silicon Valley or Silicon Valley's problem with women, which is huge? Mm. Yeah, it's a huge problem. Uh, I think at the moment, I don't think it's something that is threatening the existential um, health, I suppose, of the sector. Um, but I do think, you know, if we look to people like Uber, um, Travis Kalanick, of course, that's the founder and CEO up until recently of Uber, um, who was sort of marred with all these problems. He definitely proved to us that you can't shrug them off those issues and um, that it is a investors are sensitive and they know that there are so many different headwinds uh, facing the company and it's their money. <laughs> so they're going to be protective over that. And if there's any risk to that money and to the value of their stake in a particular company, then that's going to be a consideration to them. Um, I think the question is just how quickly something like a, you know, uh, sexual assault suit or whatever it is, um, how quickly that escalates and how big that becomes. Um, but we saw it, for example, there's a company, GoDaddy, um, yes. and uh, there were a couple of reports out this week. There was a, a great big feature, um, I think it was in the New York Times, um, looking at the way that they managed to turn themselves around. And that was a company that was particularly um, associated with this culture of sexism and uh, misogyny um, and just horrible cultural things like that. Um, and they have kind of become this sort of mouthpiece for fighting sexism in the industry now. You use the term in your piece, too big to fail, yep. which was a piece which was bandied around in 2008 mm. when after the financial crash. Yep. And there was state intervention, say, with Northern Rock yep. in, in mm -hmm. the UK. Do you think the state would intervene to save a tech crash? Because the state is actually so invested in these tech companies mm -hmm. now for innovation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but also for just harvesting raw data, you know, you have, say, I mean, it's quite a big case example, but you have security services. Mm -hmm. Services now are hugely dependent upon Google searches mm. and um, information on Facebook mm. to gather data for intelligence. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. do you think there'd be any state intervention or they keep away? It's a great question. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, I think it's, I think you're absolutely right. I think these companies have become so integral to the way that we operate that there is definitely, um, you know, there's definitely a, and we've, we've seen it in Germany, for example, it, it, car companies across Europe, in France as well, have been rescued by state aid. So it's not unthinkable that it spans beyond banking. Um, these companies, I still feel like these companies are quite new 
Um, I mean, we talk about them as if they've been around forever. But it feels like it, doesn't it? It, it does, For yeah. some people's lifetimes, they've been around well, forever Well, yeah, exactly. Now. But, um, but I, actually, I, I actually made some notes just before we came on. Uh, and Google's only been around since 1998. Uh, Amazon's been around since 94. So these are actually quite new companies. And I don't think that they necessarily have the sort of historical clout and gravitas yet to define a society and a community. I feel like state intervention is a long stretch, but I haven't seen a crash yet. So who knows what's going to happen? And we haven't seen a crash when it's become so integrated into our everyday yeah, lives. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. So I'm not that we're in the predictions game, but I love a prediction. <laughs> if you had to say when a crash might be. So it's interesting. And, and a lot of people approached me after I wrote that piece. Really? And I had, a, I had a fair number of discussions on this. And it maybe made me change my viewpoint slightly. Um, okay. I don't think we're going to see the type of dramatic crash that we saw back in at the tail end of the 1990s um, because I think we've become a lot more educated. The internet's no longer as exciting as it was and we're more cautious. Mm. So I don't think we're going to see sort of this sell-off overnight where, you know, hundreds of companies go bust. But I do think we are going to see quite a dramatic correction in things like stock prices um, as I say in the piece, Google's share price is up 30% over the last year. Amazon's is up 40% over the last year. So I just don't think it's sustainable. Um, I think probably in the next 18 months, we could start seeing quite dramatic selling. Um, but I don't think it's going to be the kind of blow to the whole ecosystem of markets and the economy that we've seen in the past. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. If you like the show, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Acast or wherever else you get your podcasts. Special thanks to my other tech lady, Helen Hoddenot, who produced this episode. I'm Kirsty Major. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.